if you've got your Bibles, I actually want to start off, I want us to go straight to Matthew chapter 5. Um, we're going through these Beatitudes, and here's one of the first things that I just want to start off with, and I want to let you know, uh, and this is a conversation I was having with a couple different people over the last few weeks. A lot of times, we will treat the Beatitudes like it's some type of a spiritual gift, you know, where it's like, blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we're like, oh, that's me. I, I'm that one. And so we take it and we're like, I, I do that. So yes, I get this. These are not like spiritual gifts that we think, oh, well, I get this and you get that. And no, these were supposed to have all of them. Like all of these beatitudes we should have. So like last week when we were talking about blessed are the poor in spirit, if you don't have a poor spirit, you need to get a poor spirit. Because as we kind of studied and looked at, if you're poor in spirit, you're rich in faith. And so we want to make sure that we have that poor spirit because we want our faith to really be rich. We want the poor spirit that recognizes that I'm bankrupt without God. I can't do anything with, without him. No matter how hard I try, I just can't do it. So I need him. And that's the, the spirit that we need to have. But sometimes Jesus is saying things that we've then interpreted from, you know, the, the Greek or rather the Aramaic that he was talking in. And now we've interpreted in the English language and stuff gets lost in translation. And we're thinking, okay, well, blessed are those who mourn. <laughs> blessed are those who mourn. And I, I read this and I'm like, Jesus, what were you thinking? This makes absolutely no sense. No sense whatsoever. I've, I've been to lots of funerals. Do you think it's really going to work if I walk up to somebody in a funeral and, and, you know, just for argument's sake, we'll say, you know, hey, you lost somebody. And I walk up and be like, oh, God bless you, brother. It's a good day, isn't it? No, what, what's, what's wrong with me if I were to say that? But that's kind of what Jesus is saying here, right? He's saying... Blessed are those who mourn. And just a quick show of hands. Anybody ever heard this at a funeral? Been to a funeral and it's like, blessed are those who mourn. If you've never heard it, I'm shocked because I've actually done funerals and I've, I've used this scripture to try to comfort somebody. And it's like, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Oh, you're mourning right now, but don't worry, you'll be comforted. It'll get better. And yet the more I study this and the more that I read this, the more I realize that's not what Jesus is saying. See, Jesus isn't talking about loss like we're thinking about loss and how preachers even like myself have used this to talk about loss. He, he's not talking about, you know, uh, losses that we would experience, whether it be like a loss of your finances or, or whether it be like a loss of a, a relationship, like, you know, a divorce or whether it be a loss of a job or maybe it's that you got kids that are kind of rebellious and they're just kind of running amok and they've left you or you've experienced rejection. It's not that kind of loss. It's not even about the loss of lives that we've had. It's about the loss of life that we're losing. And what I mean by that, about the, the loss of life that we're actually losing, it's about the lives that we are living, not the lives that we are yet to live. 
Jesus isn't even referring to this, this loss that we're, that we're mourning because of what we're about to experience. It's, it's about what we're even experiencing right now. It's about all of this life and it's about our lives. It's about this abundant life that Jesus has called us into that we are losing. We're losing this abundant life and we should be mourning that loss. We're losing the abundant life because of of one word, sin. Sin. Sin is keeping us from the abundant life. Sin separates us from God. Sin, essentially, it pushes God away from us, but sin also pushes others away from us. We're not experiencing this full life that Jesus wants us to have here on this earth because we're letting sin get in the way and it's pushing others away from us. It's pushing us away from others. It's pushing us away from God. It's pushing him away from us. And I'm not even talking about like big sins that you may be thinking of. It's a lot of these little sins. See, Jesus is talking about my sins that separate me from the full relationship that he wants me to have. Jesus is talking about your sins that are keeping you from that full relationship that he wants you to have, from the full life that he wants you to have. He's talking about these these sins. Sins like, I mean, here's just a few examples, and I'm not going to go down a big gambit of it, but oftentimes we'll be sitting here as Christians And it's like, and we know what the word says, and we know that he's called us to sin no more. And and sometimes we think, well, I'm not really sinning, but we are sinning. John actually talks about this. He's like, if you say that you don't have any sin, you're lying to yourself. John 1.8 says that you're full of it. You're deceiving yourself. I mean, here's just a, a few little examples for you. I mean, laziness. Gossiping, I don't know, bad eating habits, anger. These are all sins. And if we're experiencing those and if we're doing those, we're sinning. And what that's doing is it's keeping us from that abundant life. This is a problem that we are facing. It's a problem that the church is experiencing. And Jesus was trying to prepare us for that. See, here's the thing about the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes aren't just a list of statements that he says, this is what it is like. No, he's saying you can experience this if you will get to this point. You want to inherit the kingdom of heaven? Well, you better come up with a poor spirit. You want to be comforted? You better start mourning. This is what he's, what he's trying to do, and he's trying to get us to understand. But see, something happens to us when, when our sins remain unchecked, when they remain swept under the rug, when they remain hidden. The, the big thing is we can't mourn our sins. We can't mourn for the fact that we have missed the mark. We have disappointed the Most High. We have separated ourselves from him, separated ourselves from others. If we can't mourn that, and we won't mourn that, when we won't even acknowledge that we're sinning, when we won't even address that we're sinning. And what happens is is these sins, they're they're wounds that go deep. And when they're unchecked and they're they're hidden, what winds up happening is they just kind of 
fester and, and ferment to the point that an amputation has to happen. And for much of the world, if their sin goes unchecked, they are amputating their life from an eternity with God. And what happens in our relationships here on this earth is if those sins go unchecked, if they go unnoticed, if they go unconfessed, if we're not sharing them and getting them out in the open, our relationships need an amputation because we can't be around these people anymore. We have to be separated from them. Because so much hostility has grown. The wounds have gotten to the point where we just can't do anything. And yet you look out in the world and what do you see? Anxiety, depression. It's on the rise, not just in the world, but it's on the rise in the church. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, the church is depressed? What does the church have to be depressed about? Me personally, I've experienced that. Looking in the mirror, it's like, you're you. You're a son of God. What have you got to be depressed about? And not understanding it, not being able to, to get it and get a grasp and a hold on it. And then you feel bad about it. It's like, I should, I should know better. I should do better. I shouldn't be feeling these thoughts. I shouldn't be feeling these feelings. This shouldn't be how it is, but it is what it is. And that just keeps building and it just keeps growing. And, and if it goes unchecked, it becomes so dangerous for our lives that we then lose the abundant life. And then we start mourning that loss. But if we would mourn our sins earlier on, all of a sudden we find comfort. That, de that depression leaves us. The weight that we're bearing leaves us. Man, I thank God because I sit there and I read his Bible and, and all of a sudden it's like I start to see that others are going through these same thoughts. I mean, look at, uh, I'll pull it up here, Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2. Isaiah saying, your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. Verse 2, Nancy. Your sins have hidden his face from you. He can't hear you. He can't hear you. We're in this state of praying and asking, God, I'm just, I'm under so much pressure. I'm just, I'm, I'm so anxious all the time. I just can't get through this. I don't know what's going on. And we think that he's actually hearing us. We think he's actually listening to us. Our sins have separated us from him. Isaiah, he's talking to the church. He's talking to God's people. He's like, this is what's happening. Your sins have done this. He can't even hear you because you won't even acknowledge what you're doing. You won't even confess your sins to him. David in Psalms 32 had this to say. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Day and night, your hand of discipline. Here's the thing about sin. You feel the discipline of God when you sin. You know it. And, and nobody can sit there and say, oh, I didn't know any better. Come on. Be real. Be honest with yourself. If you've ever seen a toddler who has never been taught the Bible, and all of a sudden they do something bad, 
They instantly try to lie. They instantly try to hide it. They instantly try to cover up. That's not a learned behavior. They didn't learn that anywhere. It's something on the inside that says, I I did wrong. I'm going to get in trouble. I better hide. It's the exact same thing that Adam and Eve did in the garden. And it's the same thing that you and I are doing every day. And we're hiding those little sins. We're hiding our bad eating habits. We're hiding our laziness. We're hiding our gossiping. We're like, oh, I'm I'm not really, I'm not really gossiping. I mean, I was just talking about this person who who did that thing, just so you know how to pray. It's like, what? We don't even hear ourselves. We're doing this over and over again. We do this all the time. And just like that little toddler, we then try to hide it. Like like God doesn't know? No, God knows. He knows exactly what's going on. And his heavy hand of discipline is on. You want to know where depression starts to come from? Sin. Sin. And I know there are psychologists out there in the world that they would hear me say that, that anxiety and depression could just be healed if there was a confession of sin. And they're like, oh, no, no, that's not right because you don't know what's going on in the mind. And I would just push back and be like, you don't even know what's going on in the mind. The mind is still the most confusing part of our being that nobody understands why God created it. And yet Jesus told us kind of this solution. Those who mourn are comforted. And yet the craziest part about this is you listen to psychologists. And what do they do when they they identify these traumas that happen in people's life? They're like, you experienced trauma as a childhood. You know what you need to do? You need to go confront the person that did it and get everything out in the open. Sounds like confessing of sins to me. And what happens when that takes place? The burden starts to lift. You're able to actually then mourn it. Mourn what has happened. And this is what David's saying. He's like, I I just felt the heavy hand of discipline on me. He says that his life is like, you know, water just evaporating out in the summer heat. Feeling the heat, feeling the pressure. And he just can't stand it. And that's what I see inside the church when I see anxiety rising and and depression rising. Whether they want to acknowledge it's anxiety or depression or not, I see this happening. It's what I see happening in the church because people are just feeling the weight of God's discipline on them. And it's not even that God is putting it on them. They've brought it on themselves because of their sin. They're sinning. They're making mistakes. And in a relationship with our, our our family members, with our relatives, with our co-workers, when we sin against them, and then we, we're not going to... Now, I'm not going to apologize. I'm not going to confess it. You know why? They deserved it. <laughs> it's like, well, what happens? You just grow apart. That sin pushes you farther away. It's not... Oftentimes, it's not anything big that we would say. See, I'm not even talking about like infidelity where a husband cheats on the wife or where we cheat on God because we have elevated another God, something else that we idolize. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about little things. Little things. 
being a little lazy, sneaking a Twinkie here and there. It was just a little white lie. Just these, these little things. But those little things have such a big impact on us and it's at the cost of our comfort. It's at the cost of our comfort and all of the things that are so opposed to that word comfort is what we start to reap, what we start to get from it. Look back here at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I know there are people that will look at that and they'll be like, well, I mean, what about the people that, you know, have lost a loved one? They, they've lost a loved one. Obviously, Jesus is talking about that. No, sorry, that's not what he's talking about. I can guarantee that's not what he's talking about. I performed enough funerals. And if you try to do a funeral of somebody who is unsaved, what comfort is there when I know that that loved one is going to burn in the lake of fire? They've never touched, never looked at, never confessed Jesus once in their life and have done everything in their life to live for themselves rather than to live for God. And I'm supposed to provide comfort by lying to them and saying, oh, well, that's all right. You'll see them one day. I mean, I guess technically, if you want to blaze your path to hell, you might. But I guarantee you won't because what would be even worse than them being in hell and you being in hell, both of you being in hell and never getting to see each other? How is that comforting? How can I comfort somebody that lost an unsaved family member? There's no comfort for them. Mourn all you want. Weep all you want. There's no comfort for that person. None. I'm sorry. The Bible is true. And the Bible says they're burning. Now there's comfort for those who are in Christ. Paul tells us about that. You know that the dead in Christ are going to rise and that we'll be united together with them in the air. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I mean, there's comfort for them. See, I, that's where I know that this is not talking about that type of a loss. It's not talking about lives of loved ones that we're losing. It's talking about our lives that we're losing because of our sin. And I know that to be the case because of what came right before that. Remember last week, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, and the poor in spirit are the ones that realize their spirit, their inner being, has no value apart from God and could never enter heaven because it is just evil inside it. And it needs God to provide that relationship, to provide that access, to provide that freedom. And that's where our faith comes in because we believe and we trust and we rely on what Jesus did rather than what we do. And so Jesus is talking about those who are poor in spirit and then he follows it up with the very next one and says, blessed are those who mourn. What was the poor in spirit? I can't do it. Why can't I do it? Because I've sinned. Mourn over your sin. That's what we have to start doing. We have to start mourning over our sin. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about mourning over our sin. And when we mourn over our sin, then we find comfort. 
Because if you're not mourning your sin, you're missing some comfort. If you're not mourning your sin, you're missing some comfort. Look what the Apostle Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. He says, Godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but sorrow of the world produces death. This just goes to illustrate and back up the point that I believe Jesus is really making here, that it's not about worldly sorrow that we've lost our possessions or we've lost our friends or we've lost our family members. No, it's talking about a godly sorrow. We have wronged him. We have hurt God because we sinned. Because we didn't do what he told us to do. Because we haven't obeyed him. Because we haven't trusted him. Because we've sinned against him. And what happens? Godly sorrow, it leads us to a repentance. It produces that repentance in us. And repent just means to turn away from it. Turn away from the godly sorrow. Turn away from the sin that brought that sorrow upon us. And that leads to this salvation. And we've seen over and over again with that word salvation, if you've been around here, the the Greek word soteria, and that word is about an entire salvation, spirit, soul, and body. It's about every part of our being being saved. And it's not just a salvation that is yet to come when we pass from this life into the next. It's a salvation that occurs right now. A salvation that says, I get to have the kingdom of heaven, not just in heaven, but I get to have the kingdom of heaven right here, right now, inside me. I get to experience an abundant life now. I don't have to wait for it. That godly sorrow is what we need. And that godly sorrow is us mourning our sin because our sin separates us from God and separates us from others. If you are not mourning your sin, you're missing some comfort See, this goes a step further because it's not even then just about us mourning our own sin. It's about mourning other sins. It's about mourning other sins. See, Lot did this. 2 Peter says this one. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 8. Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the wickedness that he saw and that he heard day after day. Jesus did the same thing in Luke 19, 41. It talks about as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. You see, to to be mourning sin means that when we see what the world is doing and we see the wickedness out there, we shouldn't feel an anger first and foremost. We should feel sorrow. We should be mourning them. When we see the things that they are doing that run contrary to God, when we see the things that they are doing that hurt God, we should be weeping. We should be mourning. We should be mourning because the world is not experiencing the fullness of God. God didn't send His Son just for you and me. He sent His Son for the entire world. And if they're not experiencing His love, they're not experiencing His grace, they're not experiencing His comfort, I'm mourning for them. Because I've experienced just a taste of that comfort, a taste of the grace, a taste of the abundant life. I've tasted and seen it. God, is it good? And yet they don't know what it is. 
See, when Jesus saw this, he was coming as the Messiah. He was coming as the Savior. But they thought the Messiah was going to be a political leader. And he came and he's like, I'm, I'm not here to just save you in this world. I'm here to save you beyond this world. And you don't get that. You're looking in all the wrong places. You won't accept what God has told you from the beginning. To trust Him. To serve Him. To lean on Him. See, if we're not mourning the sin of the world, well, the world's going to be missing out on some comfort as well. And this is because the world just doesn't take sin seriously anymore. The church doesn't take sin seriously anymore. Do I have thoughts constantly running through my mind of sinful things that I think would bring me pleasure? You betcha. All the time. Through this mind, I want to sin, I want to do something. Why? Because sin feels good. And if you don't think sin feels good, you're not doing it right. Just telling you. Sin feels good. But the problem with sin feeling good is a lot of times it's like overindulging myself on Thanksgiving dinner. And it tasted good for that 25 minutes and the three platefuls that I put in there. But about five minutes later, boy, do I feel miserable and I hurt. And that's what sin does. See, I know that, yes, sin may feel good now, but it's going to hurt in the long run. And it's not that it's going to take a long time for that hurting to start, because that hurting's coming quick. So I'm able to do what the Bible says, and I take those thoughts captive, and I obey Christ. Okay, I want to do this, but what does God want me to do? Well, not that. But that's because I still take sin seriously. I still take sin seriously. I don't do little white lies with my family. Like when Genevieve puts clothes on or tries a new haircut or, or makeup or something, and then she'll ask me, hey, does this look good? If it doesn't look good, my response is, do you really want me to answer that? Which then she gets mad at me because she knows what that means. But I'm not going to lie to her. I often try to butter her up a little bit and be like, it doesn't matter what I think. It really doesn't. And we, come on, we know my fashion style. Like, you guys have seen me wearing gym shorts with knee-high black socks and sandals. Like, zero fashion sense. So it doesn't matter what I think. But even those little things, I just don't want to do. And that's because I have such a serious feeling about sin. It's like, I take it so serious, I don't want to do it. And when I do it, man, it grieves me. It bugs me. Why did I do that? I feel like the Apostle Paul, what is wrong with me? I didn't want to do it, but I did it. And I wanted to do this thing, but I didn't do it. Hmm, wretched man that I am, mourning over my sin. James tells us, if we know to do good and we won't even do the good thing, it's sin. It's sin. Oh man, this, this one gets me sometimes. I'll be driving down the interstate. I see somebody broke down. Oh, it would be good for me to stop and help them out. And if I have nothing else happening, I will stop and help them out. But usually, I'm in such a hurry to get to some place, I realize... 
It would not be good if I made us late for our doctor's appointment. So then I won't do it. But what I'm, I'm not just going to leave. I'm still going to do something. God, I'm praying. Lord, send somebody there to help them quickly. Because I, I know what's good. I know what's bad. And if I won't even do the good thing, that is sin. That is sin. But in the church, we don't take sin seriously. You hear about this all the time where ministers are caught into sin and then they have to step down and they have to resign. And the worst part about that, the worst effect of ministers sinning isn't because they sin. Come on. They're human beings. They're going to sin. They're going to make a mistake. It's going to happen. The worst part about it is the people that sit under their leadership that then start to question everything they've ever said and start to question their own faith. That is how serious sin can be. That's how serious it is. I think about guys like, what was it, Billy Graham, who wouldn't even go into an elevator with another woman. Just the appearance of sin. He's on an elevator, he rides up, the doors open up at one level, he's not to his level yet, and all of a sudden a woman gets on. He gets off and waits for the next elevator. Because he doesn't even want people to see him getting off of an elevator with another woman. Doesn't even want the appearance of it. He took sin so seriously. And we need to take it seriously. So seriously that when we do it, we're mourning. David, if you've read through, you've seen the story of David. And, and we often like to talk about the, the great thing about how he beat and defeated Goliath. And we don't often like to talk about you know, his moral failures where he uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then to try to hide and cover it up, he killed her husband. We, we don't like talking about that. But that's what David did. That's what David did. David, who God says is a man after his own heart. That's what David did. But in Psalm 51, verse 3 and 4, David says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. He's like, you, God, I've sinned against you, God. I've sinned against you. You're the one that I did this. I did this to you. He's so sor sorrowful. He's so sad. He's so remorseful. He's regretting what he has done. But he doesn't want to just stop and just end there with, oh, poor me, oh, poor me. He goes on from that prayer and in verse 10 through 12, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me joy, the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Man, I love this. Because what David's doing is he's mourning his sin. And what David wound up finding after this was he found comfort. He found comfort. He found exactly what Jesus says happens in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
If you are not mourning your sin, you're missing some comfort. So what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do now? These, these beatitudes are not just a list of statements. These are attitudes that we need to be having. We need to be having a poor spirit, a spirit that recognizes I can't do anything without God. I need Him. We need to have a spirit that is poor, but we also need to be able to mourn our sins. So what are you going to do? Are you going to continue doing what you've done and what we've all done where we just try to sweep that sin under the rug and, ah, I mean, it wasn't that big of a deal or just a little thing. I mean, I'll wait. I'll, I'll get to it later. We do that in our relationships. I'll get to it later. I'll apologize later. I'll confess that sin to them later. See, the main reason that we won't confess our sins because we're afraid. We're afraid. We're afraid of the repercussions. We're afraid of the consequences. If we're supposed to have any fear because of our sin, it should be a fear of God. It shouldn't be a fear of what is going to happen to me right here, right now. It should be a fear of what's going to happen if I let this sin go unchecked. What's going to happen if I don't acknowledge this? What's going to happen if I don't confess this? What's going to happen if I don't get this out in the open? What's going to happen if I don't mourn over this? What's going to happen if I don't get this taken care of? What kind of damage is that going to cause me tomorrow, next week, next year? What kind of damage is that going to cost me when it comes to eternity? What are you going to do with your sins? Jesus is telling you you should mourn them. You should mourn your sins. Because when you mourn them, that's the point when you come to find comfort. When you get that approach of saying what David said, God, I'm so sorry. I sinned against you. I've done the wrong thing. You told me. Maybe you told me in your word. Maybe you told me in my spirit. Maybe I just, I knew and I don't know where it came from. I knew I shouldn't do this, but I, I did it. And I know that was you, God, telling me that I shouldn't do it. And I did it anyways. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, God. Please forgive me. The great part is the moment you do that, the moment you do that, 1 John 1.8 says that if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and we're lying to ourselves. And then the very next verse says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins, to forgive us from that unrighteousness. That's when the comfort comes in. If you're not mourning your sin, you're missing some comfort. I ask you what you're going to do, but I'm telling you what you ought to do. You ought to be mourning those sins. When they pop up, mourn them. Mourn them quickly. Get rid of them. Can you imagine what the church would start to look like? We talk about anxiety and depression in the church. Can you imagine what it would start to look like if all of a sudden, the church, if we all started mourning our sins, if we all started mourning the sins of the world that's around us, can you imagine what that would look like? David's saying, hey, God, I want to experience the joy of your salvation again. 
See, what's going to happen, and I'll tell you what's going to happen, because the Bible is pretty clear about this. We start mourning, we get comfort, and guess what? The joy of the Lord comes back. Because then we can sit there and say, we are blessed. And we discover that that word blessed is not just, oh, I'm happy. No, that's a blessing where it's like a party is going on and we're celebrating. It's that kind of happiness. We experience that kind of happiness when we mourn our sin because we're comforted. I don't know about you, but I want to be blessed. I don't want that blessing to be something that I just say when somebody says, how you doing? No, I want it to be true that I'm actually experiencing it. So I'm going to mourn my sin and I'm going to be comforted. And I'm hoping you're going to do the same. Let's pray.